0: You get so used to it, you think it'll never end, and and it still feels like it may never end, but at least this is concrete evidence that things have changed. And I want to talk about anxiety. I'm sorry to say. (laughs) But, uh, or and... I need to, I need to, and I'm pretty sure we all need to address it because it's so much a part of our lives these days. There's so much uncertainty and so much conflict and so on and on. And my experience is that if I don't address it, then I and everybody else pays for it. Everybody else in the sense that I may get cranky or unkind. And I, uh, some of you know, I work with lawyers. We meet once a week right now on Zoom And three out of the four weeks a month, we basically just do a check-in, and then I may have some words of wisdom or something. It was quite something this last week, as we went around, everybody talked about anxiety in some way, about their... Fearfulness about what was going on in the world or in their lives or their work. And it helped me to remember that that's my experience, too. I mean, I always always go last. And so I'm sort of just sitting there listening. And after a while, I'm thinking, oh, right, me, too, me, too. Uh for me, it's when I'm not turning towards it, when I'm not being with it directly, sometimes what I notice is what I call white noise. You might call it free-floating anxiety, I suppose, too. Uh, just, just sort of being... Foggy, but also if I notice it that I'm, be, I'm feeling very tense, but I may not notice it. I just, you know, I'm just in this, some sort of denial, but my body knows it anyway. And so, so my mind is, my brain is kind of foggy and it's hard to uh, sort of think things through. So I hope this is useful. I think it'd be, it, I, I mean to talk about it and then talk about working with it. So I would like to start with the anxiety itself and ask you to uh, you know, sit up straight, put your feet on the floor or your back straight or whatever, close your eyes and first, just sort of, just survey your body. How are, you, how are you doing? Where is your breath? Is it in your chest? Or is it more in your uh, belly? Where is it? How is your, uh, your jaw? Is it tight? Is it relaxed? Your belly? about your knees. I found years ago that I didn't I never had noticed, but but I carry tension in my knees and my back and my jaw. Just relax if there is tension, give it some breath, breathe it out, take a few deep breaths and exhale completely. And then keep just keep your eyes closed. And I'm going to list some things, and I want you, please, to stay, stay with your body. See if it changes. See how it changes. And just keep breathing into it, and just keep noticing. Try not to think about it too much. Just notice.
1: This is my list, COVID, anti-vaccination people, unequal distribution of vaccines,
0: climate change, I would say unnatural disasters, natural disasters such as the hurricanes and the flooding and our drought,
1: and the fires and the smoke
0: Poverty and income, inequality, racism and systemic racism. and anti-Semitism
1: and white nationalism. Strife in the Middle East. China asserting itself in the South China Sea.
0: The way we left Afghanistan. Haitians at the border. Divisions in our population.
1: Attacks on
0: democracy. Autocrats in power many places in the world. That's what comes to me Right now. So check your body again. Did it tighten up in some way? Can you feel yourself? Are you holding tension some way? I noticed just now that my my shoulders are hunched a little bit. And my breath is a little short. When I breathe into my belly, I can't go very far. It's like I I might hit something painful.
1: Breath is more in my chest than it is in my belly.
0: And I, I have the impulse to cringe, you know, like in fear and protecting my horror. the The rounded shoulders are sort of the uh, public, the public way of doing that. <laughs> because I'm not, uh, I'm probably I'm not going to um, cringe here, though I wouldn't mind. So I ask you to open your eyes. And I do, I want to know how, how was it for you? What was your, what was your experience of that? What was your physical experience particularly? And I don't know if you have something that I left out. It's a pretty broad list, um, but how was it? And, and for you on the, uh, on zoom, do people know how to raise their hand with the yellow The little yellow hand. You look. Usually, you have uh, an icon that says reactions, and if you click on that, there'll be at the bottom. It says raise hand, and a little yellow hand will show up. And if if that's too hard, just put your hands in gusho. If if you're on the screen and you want to uh, say something, are they muted?
2: Uh, Yeah, the sound bar was off, and now it's on. Okay. Normally we wait after the talk. Right. The Q&A, but to okay.
0: And if you want to say something, please unmute yourself. <laughs> yeah.
3: So it was interesting when you first started talking about it, about two or
2: three items in, and I did feel my lowest of kind of not. But the funny thing is my eyes so were closed, and then I thought about all of us, here, like
3: opening into together, and for some reason, suddenly all the space opened up, and I actually felt better than I'd felt in a long time. Like it unknotted, and I actually felt okay. Even though your
0: lips kept going, <laughs> well, you're you're got ahead. You're ahead of me, but that's it's wonderful to hear that. Um, yeah.
4: homelessness that I see here in Sacramento uh, the uh, people that
2: are going hungry uh, and certainly those who are sick and even dying from uh, the
4: uh, Delta variant now. So it was very, how I felt, I, it was very painful. Yeah. I feel it all over my body.
1: Yeah. Me too. One, two.
2: You no, know, I didn't feel all that tense here, but I was, during the day, I had to turn the radio off because they were talking about some political thing that was going on, and I felt like, you know, it was getting maybe tense, when I, Driving over from my little suburban bubble and I, you know, I'm coming into an area where there's a lot more homeless people and I started to get tense thinking, you know, what am I going to see when I come down Watt Avenue? Mm.
0: Excuse me, what time, what time are we supposed to end? Quarter till nine or so. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's
4: dropped me very really good. Um uh, I generally have maybe a little more than average
0: anxious person. But strangely, like pretty hard calls is none of anxiety at all. Um, I'm I'm so I'm having trouble well, look, hearing you. Normally I kinda of have a kind of ambient amount of
4: anxiety expression. I was saying like a lot of times I have a kind of ambient level anxiety, especially since COVID has hit. But um Strangely, I was just sitting here. I'm like, wow, I have no anxiety right now, which is a <laughs> really rare situation for me.
0: I'm, I'm trying to make you anxious.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it just, I I probably wouldn't even have noticed it had you not mentioned it, but it was mm-hmm. an unusual scenario for me. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, for myself, um, I think right when you said the word COVID, I just felt my shoulders instantly come up into my to my ears. And um, kind of like you were mentioning, those same familiar places of a feeling of, you know, I feel like I need to loosen my belt buckle because I can't breathe down there. And um, normally for myself, I don't, I'm not really never considered myself an anxious person, but over this past year those feelings of like you were saying inability to breathe deep down and just throughout the day, like oh my gosh, am I cracking a walnut in my teeth right now or and um, you know tightness in the throat areas, things like that, um for a while, I thought it was you know just stress, I'm starting a new job and but now that I think about it and reflect on it, just as you were mentioning some of those things, yeah, it's, yeah. it's anxiety, and uh, it's amazing how quickly you can feel those sensations. As you were kind of yeah,
0: well, I think there's a background of our life right now, and, and if off or if they're not when they're not the foreground, mm-hmm. and and we carry it and we forget, and so that's what I'm about is you know noticing, and then responding. So thank you. So not one person on that screen has anything to say. (laughs) Some of you I know, and you never have not had anything to say before in my experience. (laughs) Okay. I guess they are. (laughs) i succeeded.
2: (laughs) There's no senses on the screen, so they can't feel anything. Is that right?
0: Well, a lot of them are photographs, so who knows? Anyway, huh? Oh, yeah. Gil? You have to unmute yourself.
2: I noticed when you were giving different anxiety-causing subjects that I felt anxiety. Gil,
0: can you hear me?
2: I hear you, or you can't hear me.
0: Uh-oh, he's unmuted, isn't he?
1: Uh, I can hear him very well.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Gil, if you can hear, wait. just wave. Okay. <laughs> or so is it maybe... Now try. Can you hear me now? No, sorry. We can't hear you. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you can put it in the chat. Maybe he did. I don't know what's going on in the chat. I can't read it.
2: Carolyn said, many times I cannot hear what people are saying in the room and
4: thought that everyone on Zoom can hear him.
0: Oh, good. (laughs) Well, I think there were some other hands up, but I'm not sure. Yes, one, two, three. One, two, three.
4: All of the green lights on. Now, well, you know, all the things you listed are things that go through my mind frequently to the point that sitting here doesn't really raise any anxiety. Um, but about uh, well, a month and a half ago, uh, w- w- soon after the Caldor fire started, uh, there was a day that a, a couple of Friends of mine at work had to evacuate their homes. Uh, a, a, another woman at work was rushing off to the ER because her daughter was taking her from school. And uh, my boss went out to also go to the ER because there was something wrong inside. And the <laughs> that day, I was going out of tire and realized I had to buy and I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of anxiety that day. Um, but then I was I left the office and was driving home uh, up in Placerville and rounded a corner, and there was a homeless guy dressed in like uh, an old woman's house dress, talking to the wind and he had all his stuff in a grocery cart that had no back wheels. So he had to pick it up like a wheelbarrow. And I said, well, maybe our problems aren't so big.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Well, In some ways, I I feel more sadness and despair around... I have four grandchildren who are younger than 12, and I just am so tired of having to consider every week, you know, have I been exposed? Should I get tested? You know, are they getting tested? Are they okay? You know, when we get together, what are the precautions? It feels like I'll go round and round and round, it's just so tiring. Um, there, there isn't the, you know, just the free space to just enjoy being with family. Mm-hmm. Thank you. To Karen. And then, and then we need to move on to the other, the other half, the other side. Uh, well, I guess fear is the main thing that i was feeling at the beginning of what you were saying and and just a tightness in my chest um and and, and i think a lot of it does have to do with covid but all of the things that you listed are on my list too mm-hmm. um and recently some families Are telling about about their anxieties. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, Thank you. that's that's true. Yeah. So I want to let talk about uh, what uh, what my teacher Mel often calls the other side. I I tend to believe in facets. Like there's not just two sides usually, but that'll do for this. I think. You know, it it is tremendously important when there is anxiety, fear, anger, all of the above, whatever, to know that it's happening, to know it, you know, what's going on in my body. Mill said to me years ago uh, that a good Zen student always knows where her breath is, and it's a great practice. And it's not that I always know where my breath is, I must confess, but I often do. And I also, I I can find, if you asked me where it was, you know, you walked up to me on the street or something and said, where's your breath? I would be able to find it pretty quickly. You know, wouldn't have to really think about it that much. And it's tremendously useful to know where your breath is, because when it is up here in your chest, that's information. It tends to be it, uh, a sign of tension and anxiety. And you can make yourself feel tense and anxious if you like. Just breathe right up here in your chest, and pretty soon you'll feel it. And if you take breaths, complete breaths, and, uh, and then let it out slowly, that the gathering and the letting out is a way to let go of that tension. But, and it's important to know, you know, you, you don't want to just avoid it. You don't want to just, you know, turn away and say, okay, I took some deep breaths, now I feel better. And so I'll just go on, because in these, these kinds of things are part of our lives. So how do we live our lives in a way that we can be with these facts of our lives but not overwhelmed by them because it's very easy to get overwhelmed by them and then either either turn away from them and be in denial or be totally overwhelmed and frankly useless and probably useless to yourself and your family and maybe even harmful
2: We have two ways for to, to communicate within them. We set the speakers on the laptop in the back, so we should be able to hear them. Or they can put a chat in, and our operator will let you know, Mary, what their question is. Okay. Can you
0: guys hear that?
2: Couldn't hear it. They didn't hear it. That uh, was yes, you remote folks uh, who would like to uh, speak. We can either hear you from the uh,
4: little uh, laptop we have here, we have alternate speakers, or if you want to put your question in a chat window, the video operator will relay your question
2: or comment to Mary and then we can address it. Thank you. So I,
0: I want to talk about addressing these kinds of tensions and difficulties. I mean, we, it is useful to respond. Years ago, Catherine Thanis gave a one, she was a teacher in Santa Cruz and she gave a talk of, she was talking about uh, homeless people and how she had realized how she just kind of didn't look at them. And so she made it her practice to actually look at people you know, at the BART stop or whatever, look at somebody and, and say hello, whether she gave them money or not, to acknowledge them as a human being and look in their eyes, and that it, it was just tremendous change, and that people told her thank you because so much of the time they're, they're shunned. So, you, I mean, this is something, a simple thing that we can do, to address these things and you can do a million things. You know, you can volunteer at a vaccination clinic and things like that. You can do political organizing or whatever. And it is useful and it's useful to do what you can do. You know what I'm saying? Not, not take on so much that you get burned out and cranky and act like a jerk. And those kinds of things, you have to decide for yourself what's what works for you to do. Uh, and what I want to talk about, though, what I want to emphasize is practicing with these things, practicing with taking care of yourself in the middle of difficulties. Do you, for example, let yourself notice your physical surroundings? Did you, for example, notice the sky tonight? Did you notice the sunset tonight? The clouds in the sky were amazing. And sometimes the sun was—you would know, be behind some clouds, and then every, all the clouds would be lined with gold. So often we get bound up with what's troubling us, and we don't see that. Do you notice nasturtiums? I think nasturtiums are amazingly beautiful. They're flowers, for those who don't know. They're very, 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 very common flowers. They're really pretty. Do you notice all the work that's been done here, the, the, the um, landscaping around this building? It looks very different from how it used to look a, a few years ago. And I think it is, I know that it is just tremendously important and refreshing to be, to allow yourself to include the joys of your life. And we forget. And it's uh, both Thich Nhat Hanh, I imagine, does there any, everybody know who Thich Nhat Hanh is? And Robert Aitken, does anybody not know who Robert Aitken was? It's fine to say you don't, it's fine to raise your hand. Uh, Okay. Robert Aiken was the founder of the uh, Diamond Sangha in Hawaii, and he learned about uh, Zen during World War II, and he became a very (laughs) important Zen teacher. He also was one of the founders of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, One of my favorite pictures of him is he's got a picket sign and he's sort of looking mischievously out from beside it. And it says, the picket sign says, the system sucks. (laughs) Anyway, he was somebody who was very, very politically active and active as a Zen teacher. And both of them talked about the importance of recreation, of recreation. We forget you need to stop sometimes. You need to go to the beach. You need to go if you can find a place that's not smoky, you need to go up to the mountains and walk along the rivers. Or here, you know, those walks along what is it, the American River? That's amazingly beautiful. And I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll stop with, with with lists, so I'm sure that each of us has our own. But what I want to kind of pound on us about, including myself, is the importance of including that, including time off, including joyous experiences, holding those little grandchildren. I just saw a grandnephew the other day, and he's two and a half. And it's tremendously important to me. so breathing knowing where your breath is and knowing when knowing when you're gripped by fear or anxiety or worry and getting in touch with your body and then giving it some breath and Taking the time to think about what could what could I do, how could I be useful and and taking the time to think, "Where could I go for a walk?" or "Oh, I'm not looking around there, look, that garden has amazing roses, or maybe nasturtiums. or as as Trish calls them, peonies. <laughs> peonies, most of us call them. So, and I, was, I meant to come back to, to what you were mentioning, us, you know, sangha, sangha is a tremendous support when we're having a hard time. You know, just to say, Oh, God, it's so hard right now to just maintain some equanimity. And I'm so glad that I have a sangha. I'm so glad that I have the practice of zazen to help me notice when I'm gripping. And maybe let it go or maybe just Take a kindly, friendly interest and notice it. And you know, sometimes you keep you take a whole bunch of deep breaths and exhale completely, and then you stop doing it so uh, purposefully. And boom, the next thing you know, it's right back. Oops, sorry, it's right back here again. So that's where your breath is. Wholeheartedly breathe from your chest. But you know what I'm saying? It's it's a, it's a, I, I guess a little bit of a koan. You. You know, you want, to, you want to be aware of it, be aware of when you feel overwhelmed in some way and let go of that overwhelmed. And one of the ways of doing that is breathing. And one of the ways of doing that is going for a walk. And one of the ways of doing that is finding a thing that's useful that you can do And one thing, the main thing is pay attention and pay attention and take a kindly, friendly interest. Take care of yourself. And don't forget, you're you're one too. You know, I think, you know, sometimes when we recite the Metta Sutta, uh, we say uh, all of us in Vallejo, or we, rather than all beings may they may we because i'm one too and sangha is a great a great jewel we're not none of us is carrying this alone so do you have any do you have any questions or comments or Advice for us all, yeah. My sister sent me a lovely poem this afternoon uh, on kindness, and we we recited the Loving Kindness um, uh, Sutra tonight. And what it said was, we can't really be kind. Unless we notice the man who's lying in the ditch, unless we notice and take in um, the person that's standing on the corner begging. That was what what, uh, Raphael was saying, but I had not ever really made that connection
3: between that's loving kindness and I can't act in
0: loving kindness unless I'm doing that, including recognizing my own anxiety. And, and loving it. Well, you have to include yourself. That's, you know, usually loving kindness meditation start with, you know, take yourself into your heart. Um, and I don't want to go on and on about this. This is a whole other thing. I've been studying bodhisattvas a lot, or we were, um, in the summer, in the spring, and trying to figure out what a bodhisattva is it's you know there's all these definitions and it's you know and we go from oh, i am a little a bodhisattva i'm a baby bodhisattva i am i am an enlightening being and then there's avalokiteshvara over there and then there's the, the early instructions which say a bodhisattva doesn't see any differences among anybody and doesn't see things at all well <laughs> sorry um but one of the ways of thinking about it is that a bodhisattva is
1: unconditional love. Just doing. Just giving. Not I'm giving. Just giving.
0: Not what I get out of it. Just giving. Just being useful. And that it grows out of not seeing distinctions between you and me. You know, they, I remember early, I don't know, it feels like I got these lectures early on. Was like, you know, we're all connected. You wouldn't hit yourself on the thumb with a hammer, would you? <laughs> no. But I think it, that compassion comes out of the more that we know Connection, and then it arises organically without this sense of I. There's a story. I think it's in the Four Brahma Viharas, the divine abodes, the first one. And and it's a it's a quote where the the, the commentators quoting the Buddha and saying the Buddha says, "You are not my disciple. Not my disciple." If you're out in a boat with a bunch of people and a sea pirate boards your boat and says, I need an oarsman, I'm going to take one of you. You are not my disciple if you say, take me, I'll go. And I chewed on that for a long time. Well, isn't that what a bodhisattva would do? No. Just Go just go that's that's unconditional love that's non separation that's compassion and you know we don't we don't live there all the time but the more we sit zazen and the more we recognize interdependence the easier it gets the easier it gets to be generous and loving. So that's that's what you that's what you, your poem triggered yeah
3: You know I, I was going to say for me what's come up in trying to deal with my own anxieties, but also listening to you talk and what you were saying just now, so much of what is causing our suffering um, isn't just seeing the suffering of people around us or beings that is part of it, but there is that second layer of our ideas (laughs) and our ideas like this isn't right. How could this be happening? I can't believe it this is terrible, you know, instead of dealing with the situation that you're in and just having that response, um, you you know, I'm often suffering because of the storylines about, but those storylines, that's not even real, like the homeless person suffering is real, but my storylines about whatever I've spun out, whatever indignation I've, built around our political system is like an additional layer that's actually separating me from that immediate human response. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm a high school teacher. I teach U.S. history in high school. I teach 20th century <laughs> US oh history my. to 17-year-olds. And they gave me a class this year They said would you be willing to take the class will put in one classroom all the people who want to argue all the people who think who are opinionated the extreme views in the class, the people who want. To entrap you, they want you to say something that they'll can go home and say to their parents, my teacher said this and then they'll call the principal on you, you know, like those people (laughs) um. And it's such a practice to be having a conversation with them because they've come into it with preconceived notions. They don't even see what's happening. They just have the spin. So I have to peel my own preconceived notions about who they are and what they're saying. I have to peel back their notions so we can all look together at something and say, what is it? What is real? What could be our response? Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing thing. It deconstructs also my layers of narrative. But I get to see just how much of it is just people being like, like people on the Internet getting triggered by other people. And that spin, it, that is just pure suffering that we just create on top of whatever problems there are.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> and and uh, and we do that. well. It's it's you know you need to know that you're doing it. I gave I gave a lecture a couple of years ago, I guess, and I said I hate Trump, and you know, and I don't I'm not proud of that, and I don't think that's useful to have that visceral kind of reaction. And you know, Martin Luther King uh, said, you know, like you know, hate the action, not the person. Not the actor, and it's and John Lewis said the same thing. He said it's you know it's too big a burden to carry around hate, but it we, it and it is, and we do it.
3: But like with with the Trump, for example, I I've had a lot of trauma in my life, and I look at him and think he's a traumatized person. For some reason, I don't know why, because he's wealthy and white and male, but clearly he's triggered all the time and that's a kind of suffering too oh you
0: know? yeah oh yeah well we listen to his niece I mean he did he's he has suffered yeah. like there was, cat, was there oh is there oh yeah, yeah. Oh, there yeah we go. so
1: uh,
4: uh from Todd Stein yeah comment to share please I have two kids in public schools And my wife, a school social worker, who are all anxious about COVID every day. I work at home and also am by nature the unworried male who keeps his anxieties to himself. As a result, I'm so focused on my family's anxiety that I often don't notice my own. Until I get a cough or a headache. Then it rushes to the forefront. The only relief I've found from it is surrender. And it comes, frankly, not from my Zen practice. But from uh, the twelve steps and surrendering my will and my life to my higher power.
0: Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, I, I know. I know. I, we, I've known. I've known Todd for a very, <laughs> a very long time. Um, well, I don't know if you were there when I don't. I, I, get, I gave a lecture about surrender once. At Zen Center, I think, but maybe not. And that I would quibble with you, I guess, that it isn't. It's both. It's both your Zen practice and your, and your 12-step practice. And uh, surrender is part of Zen practice, too. It's one of those great words that triggers people, which is one of the reasons it's useful. But I, I think of, you know, the full bow as a surrender, for example. You know, and not a surrender to anything or anybody, but uh but a laying down of that ego driving burden, whatever it is. So I mean you could think whatever you want, but I'm I'm arguing with you a little bit.
1: <laughs> it's just about time. Is there anybody? Okay.